Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Unwatchable. My name is Chloe Rodriguez and I am your host. I'm so excited about today's episode and I know that I say that every single week, but I really am um, because I'm really excited about today's topic. It's something I've wanted to delve into for a while now. A few weeks ago, I was joined by my friend Leah Farrington, and we had a whole conversation about musicals that have been adapted into movies and whether or not it was possible to fully take the staged experience to the screen. Well, today we're going to be talking about the exact opposite of that. So my guest and I are going to dissect a really popular trend in Broadway right now, which is taking a popular movie and transitioning that into a musical production. Now, there's a lot of examples of this happening, but we are in particular going to be focusing on Legally Blonde, Heathers, Mean Girls, and Beetlejuice. And we're going to be dissecting the way that those movies were transformed into a Broadway production. I think I got a really great guest to talk about this with today. If you remember that episode that I did with Leah Farrington, then you might remember that I had a very special secondary guest popping in every so often to really break down her opinion, and she's back with me today. I'm talking about Fifi Rodriguez, my sister. But I can assure you that this is not a blatant display of nepotism. Uh, Fifi is currently getting her degree in theater tech at the University of Viterbo. She and I have been in many theatrical productions together. She's been an actress and she's been a techie and she's been a costume designer. She's done all kinds of different roles in the realm of theater. And so she has a lot of very strong opinions about modern Broadway tropes. And so I just thought, you know, she had a lot to say in that last episode. Why not get her on here as a full guest and have her break down these shows with me. So that is exactly what we did. I will take you guys to that right now. Uh, My breakdown of these four shows, Beetlejuice, Legally Blonde, Mean Girls, and Heathers, with my sister and special guest, Fifi Rodriguez. All right, Fifi, thank you so much for joining me today. Are you excited? Oh, yes. (laughs) <laughs> I love getting to talk about musicals. So. Okay, you were looking at me with fear in your eye for a second, so I wanted, I wanted to make sure. I was like, is that my cue? Is that my cue? <laughs> yes, so your introduction is when you speak. <laughs> um, well, the audience, I've, I've already taken the liberty of introing you uh, to my audience. It's quite an honor. You and I were both, like, theater kids uh, for most of our lives and we really have that connection so yes you are someone who i just like talking about theater with in general but also you have professional background knowledge of what it takes to produce a musical so i thought you would be an a fun guest as well as a guest who comes with a lot of uh information stored in your mind (laughs) wasn't that that was a good sentence yeah (laughs) (laughs) information stored in your brain (laughs) um we have selected a group of musicals to talk about today that 
originated from movies. We are looking at Beetlejuice, Legally Blonde, Mean Girls, and Heathers. Uh, those are the four that we're going to dissect today. Um, I think these are great choices because I would say all four of these movies are very watchable movies. I would say that they're movies that we enjoy because this is a big, a big trend in the theatrical world right now. And I'm sure you have a lot of opinions about it, but there's so many, there's so many movies that are being adapted into musicals. Mrs. Doubtfire is going to be coming out. I heard that they're making a musical adaptation of the show, The Nanny. Uh, so it's definitely prevalent throughout musical theater world. Why do you think that is? Like, why do you think this is now such a big trend? To be entirely frank, money. Because <laughs> if you have an established title that already has a fandom, you already have a base of ticket buyers for that show. Because people that are big fans in the movie are at least gonna be curious about, mm -hmm. about the adaptation. So I think that's really it. It's a safe bet. When you have an established title, it's, an, it's a safe bet that people are gonna pay to see it. Yeah, and I think, uh... I think a good point to be made here is that, you know, Broadway has kind of, from what I've heard, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but Broadway has been struggling a lot the past few years to make and keep a long running musical. Uh, I mean, for instance, we're going to be talking about Beetlejuice a little later and Beetlejuice like didn't even really get a full year's run. I mean, partially because of the coronavirus, but it was going to be cut off uh, anyway. So I think it is really hard to establish a Broadway musical that people want to go see as a family. And that's really what you have to target is like a family going to New York. Yes. Who's not, maybe, maybe they're not all like theater nerds or like maybe the kids don't enjoy musicals, but the parents do or vice versa. And so they kind of need to be able to find something that's like a safe, bet and if you yes. already know the movie it's a safe bet that you'll at least enjoy the musical yes there's definitely a tourist attraction element to it mm -hmm. i will say though that it's a very controversial topic within the theater community and my opinion is that while i would really love and appreciate more original musicals as we'll see, just because it's based off a movie does not mean that it's going to be bad. Mm -hmm. I think that there are actually other media that are better, that are more suited to adapting to a musical. I think adapting books into musicals works really well. Um, the thing with film is that, I, I guess I'll talk about this now. Um, mm -hmm. A film and a straight play, which for those of you who don't know, is just a play without any music. Or are... like a, a play is a musical without music, essentially. Yes. So film and straight plays are pretty similar, fundamentally. They're both fundamentally looking at people and hearing them talk. That is what everything is based off of. And so generally, I think that 
if you are telling a story successfully through film, you that you could put that on stage and you would still be able to tell that story successfully without music. Like the the music needs to add something. Mm -hmm. So I think like for instance with when you're adapting books, books have things like descriptions and interior monologues and backstory and lots of things that would be a little clunky if you tried to translate them into dialogue. But once you translate them to music, it works really well. Because you're mm -hmm. there's something from the source material that you can't get by just looking at people and hearing them talk. You need that other element. Film, I think, is a little tricky because, yeah, it, it's already a very similar medium. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what what is there that needs the music to translate it. Mm -hmm. And I think on, I think even on more of like a base technical level, uh, something that can be really difficult, but can be amazing when done well. And I think this will be a great segue into when we talk about Beetlejuice to start off with. In movies, there is a lot of post-production that goes into it. Um, and there's a lot of special effects that they're able to create, um, you know, practical effects, CGI, stuff like that. There's like stunts that you can do in a movie. Whereas when you're putting on a musical, it's like in real time, like there's an audience, you don't get to reset. You basically got one shot and obviously like it's going to be well rehearsed, but when it's performance time, you can't like stop the show and then reset if an effect doesn't work. So they have to be able to translate movie effects into uh, something that they can replicate on the stage and replicate it easy enough that it can work every night. Um, yeah, I think that's a really interesting part of the process. Um, mm -hmm. on, on the one hand, I can see how that might be a little scary and challenging for adapters. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I'd say like as an audience member, that's probably one of the bigger draws is the fact that it is there and you know that whatever you're seeing is real and really happening, which as movies become increasingly dominated by CGI is not a thing that you're really getting anywhere else. Yeah. So that, that's definitely an appeal of putting a movie on stage. Yeah. Um, well, a really good example of taking movie effects into stage effects is going to be the musical Beetlejuice. So why don't we transition into talking about that right now? Um, coincidentally, the newest musical that we're going to be talking about today, and you and I were lucky enough to see it in person last January, which was just an incredible experience. I can't wait for us to talk about this, but let's first recap the movie just a little bit. So that maybe if you guys have not, if you're not as familiar with the source material, you can be caught up. Um, so the movie Beetlejuice was directed by Tim Burton. It came out in 1988. The plot revolves around a recently deceased couple in the movie. They're played by Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis who become ghosts haunting their former home and an obnoxious devious poltergeist named Beetlegeist pronounced and occasionally spelled Beetlejuice in the movie, he's portrayed by Michael Keaton. Uh, together, they team up to try to scare away the new inhabitants of their home, uh, those new inhabitants being 
played by Catherine O'Hara, Jeffrey Jones, and Winona Ryder. Um, Barbara and Adam are able to form a friendship with Winona Ryder's character, Lydia, um, as she is attracted to the strange and unusual, and therefore able to recognize and help the ghosts who are inhabiting her home. So that's the essential plot of Beetlejuice. Um, it's a really good movie. I've always enjoyed that movie. It's one of the movies that I pull out all the time during the Halloween season. Um, personally, I just, I really enjoy Tim Burton films, like I, especially his older ones. I love his directorial style where he's like not afraid to mix different mediums. And in Beetlejuice, that's no exception. He does a lot of um, like stop motion animation. Um, and just, he's, he's just like not afraid to be like absurd, which I very much enjoy. And I also think the performances in the movie are really good. I think Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice is just insane. I think Catherine O'Hara is just, I mean, as she usually is, just hilarious. So I personally really love this movie. And I was skeptical when I heard that they were transforming this into a musical. I was really not interested in seeing it at first. And thankfully, Fifi, you were able to convince me to give it a chance. And I honestly fell in love with the musical too. Um, what was your experience when you like first discovered? Yeah, I was a little skeptical at first also. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the musical really knocked it out of the park. Mm -hmm. um, I, again, like I said, a lot of people in the theater community are a little sick of the movie <laughs> to musical adaptation. But now that I think about it, Tim Burton is a really smart film choice. I think Tim Burton is really good at creating wor worlds that the audience wants to be in. Mm -hmm. And when you go to a theater, when you go to a Broadway show, it, it is much more of a, you, you feel much more like you are part of a story than when mm -hmm. you're watching it on the screen. When we went to see it, even the way that the, the house, which is the place where the audience sits, even the way that was decorated was so immersive. There was this like spooky music playing and these like flashing like blue, purple and green lights. It, it felt like you were in the haunted mansion. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it was a good choice because yeah, that, that is a world that audiences want to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think even if you aren't seeing it in person, uh, I highly recommend you guys check out the soundtrack. The interesting thing about this show is that I think, I think the songs grow on you. Um, by the way, if you guys can hear any clicking of any kind, uh, it's most likely the sound of my dog and his feet echoing through the hallway <laughs> because he has the longest clickety clackety toes of any dog. You can hear him walking from like a mile away. Um, so, the Beetlejuice musical premiered in Washington, D.C. in 2018, and it made its Broadway debut on April 25th, 2019. Its music and lyrics were done by Eddie Perfect, and the book was written by Scott Brown and Anthony King. And you're right, I, I think 
this is such an immersive musical to see in person. And I do think that Tim Burton is a great choice because Tim Burton is already so stylized that you can really give the stage and the costumes and everything kind of a more theatrical look. Like he is very dramatic in his film, like in the way that like his films are designed. And so that's something that's really interesting to do for the stage. I loved the the way that the effects were translated on stage because they went with a lot of practical effects. Again, the digital world is starting to come to theater as well. There's a lot of projections. There's a, a lot more screens that you're seeing in theaters. And that can work well in a lot of instances, but I think in Beetlejuice, it was so cool to see practical effects. Um, mm -hmm. There was a lot of puppetry. Um, at one point, they made it look like characters were just popping out of thin air purely by using lighting and like trapdoors, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is also very in the spirit of the movie, because like you said, there's stop motion. It has this sort of it has this kind of intentionally bad, like, B-movie aesthetic at points. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think using the practical effects on stage really heightened that. Mm -hmm. All of the design in the show is just gorgeous. Um, I want to yeah. talk about something that I really like about the writing of this show also. Sure, go for it. So this Beetlejuice is a little different from the adaptations that we're going to be talking about because... It doesn't follow the story of the movie as closely as the others. Um, it really, it takes the main bones and the main plot points and then rearranges things or the same plot point will happen, but the way that they get to it is very different. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that actually really works in its favor because yeah, it gives the audience something new. They're, there is the risk when you're adapting a well-known work that the audience is going to go, well, why didn't I just stay home and watch the DVD? But yeah, this show really takes the bones and it takes the things that you love about the movie and uses it to tell kind of this new story. And, but within the same world and with the same characters that you already love. And I mm -hmm. think that works so well. Um, and one of the, one of the biggest changes is that they've shifted the focus um, where Adam and Barbara Maitland were the main characters of the film. Now much more of the emphasis is on Lydia, Winona Ryder's character. And I think that was a really smart choice because mm -hmm. the, thing, the thing that I think a lot of Tim Burton movies have as an issue is that they're, they're visually stunning. They're really interesting and well done. But I think that they can kind of fall flat emotionally. They, they don't always have like a really strong emotional core. Mm -hmm. And putting the emphasis on Lydia really helps with that. Because mm -hmm. Lydia is a character who is recovering from the loss of her mother. That is a, that's a very poignant and very relatable, just very strong internal struggle. And the Maitlands didn't really have any strong internal struggle like that. So I think it just gives the musical this really, it gives it a really strong emotional arc that was missing in the movie. Mm -hmm. And I will say, so I'm someone who, I like my adapted material 
to be very accurate towards the source material. Um, I've always been that person who will scrutinize and be like, but they cut this and they cut this minute detail and they cut this. And like, if I'm a fan of something, I, I really want it to be honored. Um, and since I'm such a huge fan of the movie, I think my experience was I really needed to take the time to let the musical grow on me a little bit. Because um, when we went to see it, I hadn't really listened to the soundtrack. I didn't really know much about it. I just basically had your word that I would really enjoy it. And I, I trusted you and I went to see it. And I'll be honest, like when we saw the musical in person, I didn't enjoy the songs as much as I have now. Now I'm like listening to the album all the time and I like know all the lyrics to pretty much every song. But when we first saw it, I think it was so different than what I was expecting that I really needed time to like adjust my mindset into like, okay, this is the musical version. It's not exactly like the movie. Now let me like rearrange and like start to take it for what it is. Um, and I think what was jarring to me at first was that there is a bit of a, a difference in some characters. Um, I've talked to you before about how Delia, the character who's played by uh, Catherine O'Hara in the movie, is very different than the Delia that you're getting in the musical. Um, Delia is played by Leslie. I for, I don't know how to say her last name. I Kritzer, think it's Kritzer. I believe. Okay, I couldn't. I didn't know if it was Kritzer or Kreitzer. We'll say Kritzer. Um, so played by uh, Leslie Kritzer in the musical. And they're very, very different. In the movie, she's a lot meaner to Lydia. She's like, kind of like an artsy, like beatnik, I guess you could say. Whereas they kind of took that character and designed her more to be like the 2020 version of that kind of like hippie mindset and made her like a vegan who like prays to crystals and like, she's trying to be like gal pals with Lydia instead because like female power together and like we're all sisters and it's just very like earthy and spiritual. Whereas the Delia in the movie was a lot harsher. Um, and so to me, I was a little thrown by that, but I think like now that I've had time to adjust, it makes a lot of sense because they, their intention was not to do a 1988 adaptation to stage they were doing a 2020 updated version of the plot yeah which i think the the composer and the writers of the book have actually kind of talked about this how they they were purposely incorporating like beetlejuice is an entire franchise there's been a cartoon there are video games and comics i believe so they mm -hmm. were they were trying to take all of those things into account not just the movie mm -hmm. um so I think once you get into that mindset, yeah, it is a, it is a different experience. Um, I think the updates that they made make a lot of sense. And I think that they do a lot in preserving the humor from the movie, because to be honest, like the movie is, it's making fun of yuppie culture a lot of the time, mm -hmm. which was big in the eighties. But if I sat down 
in a theater to watch that now as a 21 year old in 2020, I would, I wouldn't get the jokes. I wouldn't yeah. understand it because that's not something that I have experience with. But I understand the the Delias of the world because they're the <laughs> ones that are going to try and get you into a pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you- yeah, I think it just wouldn't be as funny if they hadn't made those updates because mm-hmm. it wouldn't be something that's relatable. Yeah, I, I think it definitely does a really good blend of the comedy and the genuine emotion. Yeah. Because um, th- those can be difficult elements to balance. I think if my, I think if I had to give one critique, I think in Act One you get a lot of Barbara and Adam, whereas I think they, in Act Two, they kind of disappear. And I almost started to question whether or not they were like really that important. In the beginning when they died, it was like very important because they were like our window into how the the world of the dead works and they were the ones who were going through the door into the netherworld and and stuff like that but in the musical they just kind of chill out like after they meet Lydia and after she brings Beetlejuice into the world um, at the end of act one they spend they have like one big musical number in act two and then they are just kind of like sitting around for most of it. So yeah. I, think, I think that is my critique is that I didn't really understand how important those characters were to the second half of the show. Yeah, and actually um, there's something very interesting about the differences between the Washington DC workshop version of Beetlejuice and the version that ended up on Broadway. Because mm-hmm. in, the, in the DC version, the Maitlands had this storyline where, so a big theme with the, the Maitlands as characters is that they always wanted to have kids and they never got around to it. In the DC version, um, Barbara had actually recently had a miscarriage. And mm. so their, they, their hope of having a family was even more intense and then it got crushed so severely. Um, and that gave them, it made their bond with Lydia a lot stronger because she was very much the replacement for this kid that they had almost had. Yeah. Um, that storyline got dropped from the Broadway version because it was apparently like too dark and depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wish that they had kept it in because yeah, it gave the Maitlands, it gave the Maitlands more importance to Lydia yeah, and it gave Lydia more importance to the Maitlands, mm-hmm. and it really helped, like, seal seal that relationship. Yeah, I mean, I can see how they would think that would be too intense. I mean, the, the loss of a parent is is in this show, and that's intense and dark, but I think it's maybe a little more palatable to people. I mean, you see that in, like, Disney movies and stuff. Yeah. So I think, like, that might be viewed as being, like, more palatable uh especially if you like are bringing your kids or something to this show um but i kind of wish they had kept that just because i feel like it's important to talk about any critiques that you want to add to beetlejuice i mean i know i've been singing its praises so far which is unusual for me Mm -hmm. another difference between the dc version and the broadway version is apparently the dc version is like very very raunchy and so there 
they cut down a lot of things. So yeah. it, it might have had a little more flavor in the DC yeah. version. I don't know. Yeah. I really wish they had kept the raunch because to me, like, Beetlejuice as a character is so raunchy and he's such a, like, despicable person. And, like, I do get that, you know, he needed to be a little bit more likable in the musical because they do have that, like, friendship almost that forms between him and Lydia. Um, and so, like, I, I get that they were making him a little more likable than he is in the movie, and that didn't bother me. But I feel like they just kind of... They flattened his edges a yeah, little too much. I think overall, a lot of the edges in this story are ironed off a little bit. That, that would be my criticism. But overall, I love it. I think um, if you guys are interested in Beetlejuice, definitely check out the soundtrack. I listen to it on Spotify all the time. I think it's definitely a musical. <laughs> this is a musical with a cult following. Like the people who like it really like it. And then the people who don't are like, I don't want anything to do with it. And I think like, <laughs> I think you need to give the soundtrack at least two to three listens in order to get into it. And if you don't like it after that, this is a lot of commitment, but I swear it'll be worth it. Like, <laughs> I think, I think like if you give it more than one try and you're still not into it, then that's fine. But it's definitely one that you have to like, you have to try to get into it and then you'll get sucked in. So let's move on to what honestly might be my favorite one on the list, surprisingly. Uh, and that's the Legally Blonde musical. So what I have to say about this right off the bat is this was like the first musical I had ever seen where it was a musical taken like and directly adapted from a movie. This was probably like the, when that trend first started. Um, because this was all the way in 2007 that this musical came out. Um, so it was really like the first one that, that kind of started that bandwagon. Um, and I remember I saw a high school production of it. And even then I was just like, I love this. <laughs> and I love the musical so much, but I also love the movie. Legally Blonde, just like a complete and total classic. I'm sure like everybody listening right now has seen Legally Blonde. Legally Blonde is a 2001 American comedy film. Uh, it was based off of a novel written by Amanda Brown, and the movie was directed by Robert Lukatic, which is a very weird last name, and I'm very bad at pronouncing last names, so I apologize. I've butchered the name of everyone on this. Uh, it follows Elle Woods in the movie famously portrayed by Reese Witherspoon. Uh, she is a sorority girl who attempts to win back her ex-boyfriend by getting a degree in law at Harvard Law School. And in the process, she overcomes stereotypes against dumb blondes and triumphs as a successful lawyer through unflappable self-confidence and fashion slash beauty knowledge. This is an iconic chick flick to me. So um, the musical was uh, adapted with music and lyrics by Lawrence O'Keefe and Nell Benjamin. And the book for the musical was written by Heather Hack. What was your experience with Legally Blonde, the musical? So mine is sort of, this is sort of the, the opposite of your experience with Beetlejuice. I did not have high expectations for this musical. It sounded like the dumbest thing ever to me. Mm -hmm. Even when I was like 
So this came out in 2007. I was a wee lass. I remember seeing it <laughs> on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and thinking, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but your your adoration of the show eventually swayed me and I eventually got into it. And now this this is the the soundtrack to this musical is the soundtrack I put on when I need an instant mood boost. Because mm-hmm. that is what it is. Um, I think that this had a really, it was a really smooth transition from screen to stage. It's probably, it's probably the most similar to the source material out of mm-hmm. the musicals we're going to talk about. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with tone. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I've noticed as I've been taking notes on these musicals is that tone more than plot is really the thing that makes them feel different from each other but the tone in legally blonde the movie is the same as the tone in legally blonde the musical and that tone mm-hmm. is that it is a shot of cotton candy straight into your jugular mm-hmm. like just pure sugar which is um, why i love it so much and it's great yeah um i also think that it's good that the musical came out so soon after the movie, I think that really helped things. Um, because mm-hmm. like we were talking about with Beetlejuice and like we'll probably talk about with Mean Girls, some of these other stories have ha- have been adapted way after the fact, way after the movie came out. And so they've had to update the story and sometimes that works really well and sometimes it does not. Mm-hmm. Um, but Legally Blonde, because they hopped right to it and made that musical in- right away, um, it doesn't have those hurdles. So mm-hmm. I think that that works in its favor. And also, I, I'll say, this is going to sound very dramatic, like I'm really blowing smoke, but let me explain. I think the story of Legally Blonde is classic. Like, I think it doesn't really matter if you update it for a different time period. Like, it, yes, it, it, this is a story that took place... 19 years ago at this point but it's not like it's not completely dated and it's also not so specific to that time period that if you did update to it to 2020 that it would be like a completely different show like it you know like something that we'll talk about in Mean Girls is that they had to update a lot of jokes to be about social media and, and stuff like that and what teens are like now Whereas, like, in Legally Blonde, if you did a joke about, like, Elle Woods texting or tweeting or something, which they don't, but if they did, it wouldn't even seem out of place because it would make sense for her character and the tone of the show. So you can really, like, put this, you can still watch this from the eyes of someone in 2020 and not feel like, oh, this is an early 2000s story. Um, So I think that also works in its favor a lot. I, I will say I really like that it it streamlines the story, it cuts out some extraneous characters, some extraneous scenes. I think Legally Blonde is just across the board a great idea to transition into a musical because it is already such a like upbeat story. The character is already kind of like a dramatic girl, like a dramatic valley girl that it doesn't seem like with Beetlejuice I've heard people make the argument of like oh Beetlejuice like that character would never even sing like he would not be in a musical we'll talk about Mean Girls a little bit later where like you know Janice 
has a big role in that musical and people could say that's a character who wouldn't sing like she wouldn't want to be in a musical so like therefore this doesn't make sense whereas like Legally Blonde Elle Woods is exactly the kind of character that you could see in a musical so I think that also works to its favor uh immensely I think um I think the performance has seen the 2019 cats in theaters. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. I think, uh, I think Laura Bell Bundy does a really great job at Elwood's. Does a really good job of being true to the character, but also like putting her own spin on it in a way that I think is very balanced. And while we're talking about characters, Emmett Forrest, something I want, something I I meant to bring up earlier and then forgot about was mm-hmm. I think one thing that the musical does better than the movie is the romance because mm-hmm. in the movie I feel like we don't get to spend enough time with Emmett Forrest her love interest for us to yeah. really understand him or for us to really want them to be together it kind of feels like tacked on um, whereas Emmett Forrest and Elle Woods in the musical they make me swoon like that is a (laughs) well-written romance right there Mm -hmm. um yeah they definitely flesh out that relationship a lot more in the musical and you you genuinely want them to be together yeah i think um it's really funny because when i went back and watched the movie i was like oh luke wilson actually doesn't get that much screen time But in the stage version, um, pardon me for forgetting the name of the actor right off. Christian Borle. Christian Borle. He gets a lot of stage time as Emmett. He has like a lot of musical numbers that he does with her. I think, I think while they don't change his character, I think you're right. I think they, they have a lot more like interaction between the two of them. Um, Where they seem, whereas, like, in the movie, I feel like right off the bat, you kind of see them as, like, kind of flirtatious, kind of right off the bat. I think in the musical, they have, like, more of a friendship developed into a romance. Um, Yeah, and I I like that they, they took a lot of care in the musical to give them a balanced give and take in their relationship, because um, Emmett kind of... Emma kind of forces Elle to be a little more realistic um, because he he talks about how he does not come from the privileged background that she comes from and he's had mm-hmm. to work super hard his whole life and that that motivates her to change but then also she helps to, she spreads her glitter around and gives him more confidence and mm-hmm. yeah I I really appreciate that they both give something to each other yeah i'm trying to think like what my main critique of this might be um i know what mine is i feel like the i'll put it this way i think they could have given paula or paulette any kind of like out there like comedy musical number and i don't know why they really made the choice to make it like an ireland like irish drinking song like lament i think it's good but i just don't understand the choice um (laughs) and then i also have to say that um like i really liked in the movie that you got to see her friendship with vivian um take i 
I understand. Okay, so in the musical, they change it where like she becomes friends with Vivian at the very end of the musical, and you have that whole turnaround in the salon where Vivian's like, maybe Warner saw someone who was sleeping her way to the top, but I see someone who doesn't have to. And then like she sings that whole like amazing riff about how much she like likes Elle Woods now. And while I do I do understand why they like cut out the like older professor character and gave that line to Vivian. And I, I understand that change, but I really kind of missed the friendship between them that develops throughout the whole movie. And I was a little disappointed that they just kind of put that at the end of the musical, because I think in the movie, it's great that it happens more towards the middle because it kind of goes to show that like, while we're also subverting this idea of like the dumb blonde, we're also kind of changing your mind about this idea of like the bitchy girlfriend. Like she was only, she was like mean to her at first, but then she really comes to appreciate her as a person. And I think that's more realistic than like, oh, we'll just hate each other forever until the last minute. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, what was your main critique? It's really minor, I guess. Um, so I, I know at least for a lot of women in my generation, and probably a lot of women in your generation too, Elle Woods has become kind of a feminist icon. Like, a lot of women my age just latch on to this movie. And mm -hmm. I understand why. And I understand why they feel that way about the musical. Because you come out of it and you feel like you can do anything. <laughs> um, that being said, like, I, I don't know. The, there are some moments that are still kind of weird, and I feel like... How am I, what am I trying to say? Are you talking about, like, maybe the Greek chorus of the sorority sisters? When they're like... I think the only part... Like, I, I kind of... That part sometimes makes me cringe, because I hate the beginning of Bend and Snap, where she's like, Look at my ass, look at my thighs! Yes, okay, okay. Bend, Bend and guys. Snap! <laughs> Bend and Snap is a bop, but is it is an entire song about how the male gaze is empowering? Like, what? But I mean, that's also, like, such a significant part of the movie that, like... I know, I know that they had to put it in there because it's in the movie, but it, it is really weird to have <laughs> a, a show that is otherwise very empowering and is destroying a lot of these stereotypes and then have a moment like that. There's also like a couple instances of slut shaming in with the sorority girls. Mm -hmm. Um, I I guess it, it it just feels like like it feels jarring in a way almost. Mm -hmm. Just because you think like it doesn't hold up by like yeah. today's standards. I don't think it holds up. Yeah, I think I think the journey that Elle goes through, like. I think that that still holds up because her entire story is really about like how like femininity is so important to what makes her a good lawyer because mm -hmm. she is so caring for the people she's working with. And yeah. I think that that, yeah, that's something that still really resonates. And then you have these other moments that don't quite stack up. But also like I do like there's like an almost five year age gap between us and we did go to school yeah. at like very different times. Yeah. So 
I can understand, like, I'm tail end of, like, millennials, you're Gen Z. So, like, I can understand how there would maybe be, like, a generational divide there just a little bit. Because um, those kind of things, like, in 2007, when I was going to school, like, were, were like, acceptable. So. Yeah. And again, like, I, I'm not canceling Legally Blonde by any means. <laughs> no, Phoebe, I, I, it seems like you're in a, you're in a tirade against them. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like, like you want to take them down. No, I'm not canceling Legally here to Blonde expose. by any means, but there are definitely um, elements of it that I think don't quite stack up. Um, mm-hmm. And I think part of that might just be that they have a male lyricist. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's important that we we mention that the same lyricist that they use in Legally Blonde is the lyricist that they use in Mean Girls. Um, and if you and in Heather's, I believe, also. So I think this is a good transition to talk about Heather's. Um, and then after Heather's, we'll go into Mean Girls because I feel like the two are very closely tied um, and we'll kind of get into why. But let's look at Heather's. I was very surprised when I heard that this movie was going to be translated into a musical just because I didn't think that it was a, a movie that was particularly talked about much anymore. If you guys have never seen Heather's, it is a movie by Daniel Waters. And it's a very dark movie. Um, It was directed by Michael Lehman and stars Winona Ryder, Christian Slater, and Shannon Doherty. Um, Basically, the film portrays four teenage girls, three of whom are named Heather, in a clique at a high school in Ohio. Uh, Their lives are disrupted by the arrival of a misanthrope intent on murdering the popular students and staging their deaths as suicide. So, very dark material, just (laughs) right off the bat. Um, And so I was kind of shocked that it was going to be translated into a musical, Um, but it was. And Heather's the Musical is a rock musical its music, lyrics, and book were done by Lawrence O'Keefe and Kevin Murphy. Um, and as opposed to all the other shows that we're talking about today, this is the only one that did not actually run on Broadway. It ran off Broadway and premiered in 2014. Um, but it did have a production on the West End in 2018. So it's had a little bit of a different journey from the other shows that we've talked about. Heather's completely blew me away and I did not expect that at all. I I saw the movie. I, I liked it, but I wasn't like a huge fan of it. Um, I liked that it was really dark and its inception was kind of to be like a darker take on the high school experience, almost like an anti like John Hughes film. I mean, the whole thing is murder and suicide and bulimia and date rape and there's just a lot of heavy heavy themes and I think that was a big reason that I was surprised that it was going to be translated to the stage um but when I listened to it I was just like wow the 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 lyrics were really good and the music was just so good and I was a terrible person and I watched a bootleg of it on YouTube which uh 
don't don't do that but also do that i'm not saying <laughs> to do it because that would be wrong because people in theater deserve to make money for their work but also not everyone can afford to go see things on stage or have the opportunity to because broadway's shut down so i'm not saying to do it but maybe i don't know uh <laughs> i loved that they kept it in the 80s because i think that allowed for them to be as rough with it as they wanted to be. Um, whereas I think in Mean Girls, which we will talk about in a second, in Mean Girls, I think they kind of softened their story a little bit, especially because they were trying to update it for, you know, a, a 2018 audience at the time. Yeah, I, so let's see, I started high school in, 2013 graduated 2017 so i was in high school right when heathers was blowing up and it has quite a cult following mostly around mostly within the teenage demographic um mm -hmm. and what I, I really appreciated about it as a teenager was that it felt like a very accurate depiction of how high school feels like, nobody at my high school was murdering each other, um, but it felt that way a lot of the times. So they even say in the show that, like, when you're in high school, your problems feel like they're life and death. Um, so I think it really captures the emotion of being mm -hmm. in high school well. Also, something that it touches on that I don't think a lot of other um, high school stories touch on is how, how inept the adult in teenagers' lives can sometimes be when it comes to dealing with difficult topics like this. Um, yeah, there's an entire character in Heathers who is a teacher, and her the entire joke is that she is stumbling through trying to teach the kids about suicide awareness. Mm -hmm. And that is that is spot on. And I think um, she has she has like an amazing line that's like Deciding whether or not to kill themselves is the hardest choice a teenager can make today. Like, yes, <laughs> something so like that's the funny thing about this show is like it's so it's so darkly funny. And I think I think what you were saying before about like keeping the tone of a show is or keeping the tone of something is so important when you're translating it to a musical. And I think the musical is actually a little bit funnier than the movie is. Um, but it's able to be funny while also keeping that like darkness to it, which I appreciate. I like when, I like it when people aren't afraid to go for dark humor. I love dark humor and I think it's something that's seen as really risky right now. And so I appreciate when it's done well. Yeah, I, I will say, I think that the musical takes its subject matter a little more seriously than the movie does. Um, but I think they, they kind of had to, because in the 80s, part of the humor in Heathers was like, teenagers killing each other, that's ridiculous. But now, unfortunately, violence in schools is an incredibly common thing. Mm -hmm. and, and there's also like, mental health issues are an epidemic amongst this age group. So if they hadn't taken those issues a little more seriously, it would have felt completely tone deaf. They're able to take those issues seriously without diminishing the humor, because I think they direct the humor in the right direction. Mm -hmm. We're gonna, we're gonna have to go in 
a little bit to Mean Girls right now because I think there's going to be a little bit of crossover in what I want to say about both of these shows. Okay. So with your permission, I'd like to translate, I'd like to transition a little bit more into Mean Girls so that I can compare the two, if that's, okay, yeah. if that's all right with you. So yeah. let's put a pin in Heather's for just a second. And I want to refresh everybody's memory on Mean Girls. Uh, I can't imagine that someone in our age range doesn't know what Mean Girls is, but uh, Mean Girls is a 2004 American teen comedy film directed by Mark Waters, famously written by Tina Fey. Uh, it stars Lindsay Lohan, Rachel McAdams, Anna Gasteyer, Amy Poehler, Tim Meadows. Uh, Tina Fey also has appearances in it as well. Um, Amanda Seyfried, so many just like people who are still popular today. Um, and it was, of course, based off of the book Queen Bees and Wannabes by Rosalind Wiseman. This movie was like, it was and is, I think, just like one of the most popular teen movies out there. I remember when it first came out and people like would not stop talking about it. And honestly, people still haven't stopped talking about it. And it's been like 15 years or something, which is insane. Um, this is one of the funniest movies I think I ever saw as a kid. It's like, just like a perfect mix of like raunchy that you kind of need for a high school film, but also just like really funny. So you can still appreciate it if you're not a high school student. I mean, even our dad thought it was really funny and he was like a 40 year old man at the time, like when it came out. So that's just like a universally beloved movie and people were very excited when they announced that they were going to be turning it into a musical. Um, the musical premiered on Halloween 2017. The book was written by Tina Fey. The music was done by her husband, uh, composer Jeff Richmond, and the lyrics were written by Nell Benjamin. So as you can see, the, the two write, like writers and lyricists for uh, Legally Blonde kind of split off and one did Heathers and one did Mean Girls. So let's see how that panned out. Um, <laughs> which is more talented of the writer team. <laughs> yeah. Um, the reason that I wanted to bring up Mean Girls while we were talking about Heathers is Heathers is willing to make its mean characters mean, whereas in Mean Girls, titularly named after the literal mean girl characters in the show, I feel they really, really flattened the cruelty really like i think i think they were afraid to push the envelope in this musical whereas the movie was so good because there were there was like raunchy humor and there was mean humor and i feel like that kind of got taken away in the musical rendition of mean girls uh whereas in heathers the mean characters are genuinely mean like they're saying they're saying terrible things like people are using like gay slurs and like just saying like they, there's a whole song about like date rape essentially 
Uh, and there's a song where one character tells another character to kill themselves. Yeah, like they're they're really dark with it. And yeah, that's not exactly as dark as like the movie Mean Girls got. But I think like in the Mean Girls movie, like the characters are genuinely like being sneaky and mean. And I think a lot of that got taken out of the musical uh, because they were afraid of being offensive. But if you're going to have a character who's offensive, they need to be offensive. As much as you and I are like, I would say pretty progressive people and like, we don't think it's funny to like make fun of a particular group of people or anything like that. I think, uh, I think Tina Fey was kind of trying to seem woke as she was writing this book. And that really didn't play off well. Really. It feels performative. That's it what does. I would say. It does feel a little bit performative. I mean, I, I had seen in interviews that Tina Fey was saying she regrets a lot of like the slut shaming that she did in the movie Mean Girls. But it kind of made sense be, like to have their characters calling each other like sluts and whores and stuff like that. Because that's what people would say about each other in high school. And yeah, I don't say that about people now, as like I didn't then, but like I don't say those kinds of things as an adult and I don't shame people. But when you're young and immature, like you might not think of it that way. And that's what her characters were like in the movie because that's what those mean teenage girls were like back then. So it doesn't really make sense to cut that out of the musical because you don't want to seem like you personally aren't woke. Like, it doesn't make sense. Your characters don't have to be woke just because you are woke. In Mean Girls, drunk teenagers at a party say, turn the freaking music up. Yeah. Also, <laughs> That's very representative of the difference between these two shows. And yeah. again, the thing that resonated with me as a teenager about Heathers was the honesty and the authenticity. Mean Girls does not have that same authenticity. The way Katie is being bullied is that someone looks at her and says, unsubscribe. <laughs> Which, what the fuck? If someone said that to me, I would not feel bullied. I'd just be like, what the hell are you talking? Like, that, like a cool person being mean to you would not say that. You'd be like, what the fuck? Like, you're a loser. <laughs> like, you would not be offended by someone saying that to you. You'd be like, you're weird. Like, even the insults in the, in the burn book, um, Trang Pack is a Grotsky biatch. Nobody says that. Well, in the... It, it's... And maybe they said it in the early 2000s when the movie came out. But no one in 2019 says that. My issue with this is that, like, this is the only example out of all of the musicals that we're talking about today. Mean Girls is the only example where the original person who wrote the movie is also writing the musical. And I don't know if it's because Tina Fey doesn't have experience in the theatrical genre or what. But it's mind-boggling to me that the worst musical that we're talking about, the one that's the most different tonally in its source material, and is, in my opinion, the worst adaptation from movie to musical, was written by the same person. Again, going back to tone, so one of the first notes I wrote about Mean Girls is that it's too earnest. The musical mm -hmm. is too earnest. Um, the thing with Heathers is that 
while it is telling this high school story, it is also simultaneously kind of making fun of these high school stories. That's why it takes the, you know, the John Hughes type of movie and makes it into a story about murder because they're making fun of that entire genre. Um, and I feel like the movie Mean Girls had elements of that, but then the musical is, yeah, it's way too earnest. Um, mm -hmm. At the beginning, it seems like they, they kind of try to frame it as like being a school assembly that they're putting on um, with the introduction that Damien and Janice give. Mm -hmm. um, and it has that exact tone of school assembly like like you're watching so a show cheesy. yeah like you're watching a show that was written and performed by the high school theater department because like the principal asked them to do like an anti-bullying skit or something exactly that like, is exactly what, what it feels like. like yeah which is not the movie the advantage of a musical is that you can tell the audience exactly what the character is thinking they can communicate thought processes that would be difficult to show otherwise. Um, and this can be, this can be really helpful because even if, even if the characters are not willing to express themselves clearly to each other, they're always willing to express themselves to the audience. And it helps the audience to really get to know the character really well and get to understand them really well. Mm -hmm. um, the thing is, um, the way Tina Fey wrote these characters in the original movie was so good and so precise that I already understood them without the songs. I remember getting to Gretchen's solo in the musical, What's Wrong With Me? Mm -hmm. And at that point, I already knew all of the information that What's Wrong With Me was trying to convey. It's about her relationship with Regina, and I could already tell what that relationship was like by watching their interactions. The songs felt really unnecessary. Um, and that's a good point because, like, a, a big revelation, I guess, at the end of Mean Girls is the movie, is that, you know, these girls are mean because there's other things in their life that they haven't addressed and they have their own issues. And that's why, like, at the end, like, you know, Regina channels her, her aggressive energy into something other than being mean. She becomes, like, really good at sports. And, like, I think in the musical, giving Gretchen that number is a little bit too self-reflective for her. Like, she shouldn't, yes. she's not supposed to be that self-aware of what her issues are. That's an issue throughout the musical. Um, we were talking about how um, Regina's mom gets a solo. Yeah. Where she's like reflecting on her parenting. Yeah. When the entire point of Regina's mom in the movie is that she really does not have the maturity to be raising a kid and she's just totally clueless. Yeah, she is like one of those mean girls, like grown up, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, her entire point is that she's not introspective, but giving her a solo like that is inherently introspective. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. I agree. The characters just don't hold up comparatively. I think 
the way that Rachel McAdams plays Regina George in the movie is exactly how like an actual mean girl in real life would operate where she seems like she's complimenting you, but she's really insulting you. She seems really sweet and good looking, but underneath like there's just a lot of vanity and a lot of like self-interest and it's a lot more like subtle in her like self-absorption in a way that like she makes you feel like you're her friend, but she's not your friend. Um, but I feel like in the musical, it's just like, there's not that subtlety. Like I, the, the girl who plays her in the musical has an amazing voice, uh, Taylor Louderman. Her voice is incredible. I won't take that away from her. I love listening to her sing, but I hate listening to her talk. I hate the voice that she uses for Regina. I hate that like Regina almost seems dumb even though Karen's supposed to be the dumb one. Like she just doesn't seem as crafty and conniving. She seems way more of that like stereotypical blonde mean girl that you might see in like a Disney Channel original. She doesn't seem like the fully formed character that she does in the movie. As I said, the songs feel a little unnecessary. And the really sad thing about that is that when you adapt a movie into a musical, the songs are gonna eat up some of your time. And that means things are gonna get cut. As I talked about with Legally Blonde, that I think worked really well because they, the things that they cut were a little extraneous to begin with. They were trimming the fat. Um, mm -hmm. With Mean Girls, it means that a lot of the best jokes and scenes from the movie yeah. get cut. The, yep. the Christmas um, talent show performance t gets a bit about 30 seconds devoted to it and mm -hmm. then they move along to the next thing even though that is one of the most iconic scenes yes higher film we don't get the we don't get the joke of um i think he's headed to the projection room above the auditorium like the <laughs> we don't get like any of those really great jokes that don't even need to be translated into like 2020 speak or whatever like those are jokes that can easily like not like you can easily put them in the musical but they just didn't yeah it, I really love the version of Karen in this musical and she's like the one character in this show that I can say like I like just as much in the musical as I liked in the movie and she really doesn't get that much like she doesn't really have that many lines but she does have an amazing musical number uh it's yes. like the it's kind of like the dumbest musical number in that like you could easily take it out of the the musical and it wouldn't affect the plot whatsoever but she sings the song sexy and it's their sexy halloween tribute and i love it yes sexy um a is really catchy b i think it's the only moment in the musical that actually improves upon a joke from the movie mm -hmm. because because you have a whole song devoted to it, they they really go as far as they can with <laughs> what is the weirdest thing that we can make a sexy version of. And yeah, True. it's a step up from the movie. It's also the perfect solo to give Karen. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I will say that is the one part of the show that I really have nothing bad to say about. Yeah, I so we'll have to wrap up pretty soon. But I have two, I have two big issues with this musical that I think we need to address and if they might be the same as yours if not I like obviously you'll have time to talk about yours too mm -hmm. um 
my one of my biggest issues with the musical is that the jokes that are the jokes and the quotes that are popular in the movie are shoehorned into the musical in not always the most subtle or best way uh for example uh the stupid like it's october 3rd joke in the movie in the musical there's no reason for it to be in there other than like oh people quote this part so there's this whole part of a song where she goes october 3rd my new favorite day yeah which like makes no sense in the context of the like it's not funny in the musical it's only funny if you're like ha ha i get that because it was in the movie and it was funny in the movie so i guess it's funny in the musical it's not they just say it uh there's also the whole like the glenn coco thing like out of nowhere they just have a whole riff of glenn coco glenn coco glenn coco in like one of their songs because I'm assuming they're gonna hold for applause afterward everyone they mentioned Glenn Coco remember him like it there's just a lot of shoehorned in jokes like that where it's like they took out all the good jokes from the movie but they kept in all of the quotes but the quotes don't make yeah. any sense uh outside of the movie because they didn't actually make them funny in the musical they just said them yeah that's a big problem I think life. overall um this is a comedy that isn't funny. And that's sad, especially coming from Tina Fey. And it's sad because it was based off of a comedy that is funny and was written by the, yeah, and it is from Tina Fey. So I'm, I don't understand what went wrong here. I'm such a huge Tina Fey fan. And if I have to see another fucking musical that is set in high school where people dance around with their food trays, I'm gonna fucking lose it because that is the choreography in, Every, like, every musical set in a high school, they're like, yo, what if we did a dance routine, but they're holding their food platters? I'm so sick of it. They did it in Heather's. They do it in Literal High School Musical. They do it in Mean Girls. Everyone put down your food trays. I, I'm sick of that choreography. Can I just say, I, I understand doing musicals that are set in high schools. I just wish that there was more of a diversity in the kind of stories that are told about high schoolers. Mm -hmm. Because, let's see, Heathers, Mean Girls, Dear Evan Hansen, and Be More Chill, these were all huge musicals set in high school, hugely popular. They all have the same basic plot of a loser tries to not be a loser and chaos ensues. And that's another reason that it wasn't necessary to turn this into a musical. They didn't need, we don't need a Mean Girls musical. Musical theater does not need a story like Mean Girls. Yeah, I also think that just, I don't know, I feel like those kinds of stories are not as relevant as they may have been back in the, in day. the past. Like I think Mean Girls was very relevant when it came out in the early 2000s and now I feel like, A, um, high schools are not as rigidly separated into cliques as they once were. Yeah, definitely um, not. And B, I feel like, like Gen Z teenagers have different concerns. Not to bring politics into this, but high schoolers are leading climate strikes and gun control rallies right now. Like, today's high schoolers have 
bigger and different concerns yeah. than just whether they are popular. They're not like, she didn't shop at Limited 2, let's push her in the mud. Yeah, I just, I feel like that's not quite as relevant as it once was. Yeah. And so the entire Mean Girls concept feels dated at this point. And I feel like they almost dated themselves even more by adding so many, like, social media and, like, texting jokes and stuff. Yes. Because you might think that that makes you more modern, but really it dates you. Because, like I said before, you can take something like Legally Blonde that came out in in 2007, and you can watch it now, and it still feels like it's like this, it, it still feels like you could be watching it present day. Whereas, let's cut to... 15 years from now, if the Mean Girls musical is revived, it's going to sound fucking dated. People are going to be like, oh, people used Twitter back then? Like, what? <laughs> you know what you I mean? You said the word bay. Yeah. Like, Nobody really says that now in 2020. Exactly. So they're, you might think that you're updating yourself, but you're really dating yourself. Yes. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think they should not have tried to update it because I feel like that actually made it less relatable to today's teenagers. Because today's teenagers, they can see very clearly when you are talking about something and you have no idea what you're talking about. At Mm -hmm. one point, they show like memes that people have made of Regina, and it's like a photo with a caption in impact font. Memes have not looked like that since 2012. Like, yeah. you can, it's very obvious that these jokes were written by people too old to understand social media. And, and none of those memes were even mean. alienating to a teenage audience. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, let's wrap this up by talking about the most controversial part of Mean Girls, the lyrics. Uh, the lyrics in the musical Mean Girls are not good. like to be blunt uh not good not very funny i don't understand what was happening there there is some stupid stupid lyrics in this musical let's see i believe in the opening song they say like mean is harder than nice like that is a line that made it into a finished Broadway musical. <laughs> At another point, they rhyme guts with guts. They rhyme it with itself, which is like <laughs> the first rule of songwriting is you don't rhyme a word with itself. So what on earth were they doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, the, in the musical number, Where Do You Belong?, they essentially, <laughs> your face, this is my least favorite number of the show. Can I just talk about the, just the song, Where Do You Belong? Yeah. Because that is an entire song explaining high school cliques. And it doesn't. one, not is a tired concept. Yep. And B, it took a segment from the movie that was funny and stretched it out way too long, completely forgetting that brevity is the soul of wit. <laughs> yes, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head there. Yes, Anything else? I found myself actually taking my headphones out of my ears while this musical was playing because I didn't want to listen to the songs because all of them were too long for the point that they were trying to make. Oh, God, yes. 
And a lot of them are very catchy and very well written, but a lot of them are also very generic sounding. Yes. Especially the finale. She has a whole song called More Is Always Better. And it ends with when you have le- uh, when you have less, you have more to lose or something like that. They're just so cliche. I also liked, um, I do have to say, uh, Revenge Party is really fucking catchy, but has generally maybe the worst lyrics in the whole show, like indisputably. <laughs> um, just like the lines that are like, <laughs> uh, imagine a party with dresses and cake and singing and dancing and cake. Like there's, why did it, was that supposed to be a joke that you repeated cake twice or did you just repeat it twice? Like, that was weird. There's so many things that I could say about so many different lyrics in this show where I'm like, I can't tell if that was supposed to be a joke or if it was just supposed to be good and it wasn't. (laughs) I I feel like Lawrence O'Keefe was like, well, I've done this show before and kind of phoned it in because in the song Apex Predator, there are parallels to other lyrics in Heather's. Like both of them have lines about playing dolls and braiding hair. Mm -hmm. I I feel like Lawrence O'Keefe kind of was like, well, I've already done this. I've made a shorthand basically and I can just reuse the same lines. Yeah. I think overall the disappointing thing to me is that I think Mean Girls had a lot of potential to be really, really funny. And I think if they had, because, I mean, it is Tina Fey, and Tina Fey is hilarious. And I think if they had focused, and, sorry, and now I'm getting angry. And, like, the lyricists, like, we've seen that they can, like, they can do Legally Blonde and do, like, a funny, like, upbeat, like, kind of dumb, kind of girly character. So you would think that they would be perfect for Mean Girls. And I don't know, the whole thing just feels phoned in. And I have to say that out of all of the musicals we've talked about today, this one feels the most like a cash grab to me. And I really don't like it because it feels, it doesn't feel like everyone put in the effort that they could have. Tina Fey could write something hilarious. I, the, like they've all, this is something that's all within these people's wheelhouse and they couldn't do it. And I just don't understand why, other than the fact that maybe they honestly didn't care, or maybe they were focusing on the wrong thing. It feels like they focused more on being performative than they did on being funny. And I think that was the wrong move because something can be both really funny and still have a good message to it. As a design student, um, I hate the stupid projection set. The only time it looks cool or is used in an interesting way is in World Burn. Mm -hmm. I do like having all those like moving pieces like the desks on wheels and stuff and I like how that was incorporated into the choreography but I do not like that stupid projection set. (laughs) Um, I thought the costumes were kind of weird. Mm -hmm. I mentioned this as I was watching it that either Either Chicagoans dress really weirdly, or this costume designer has not met a teenager. (laughs) The only characters that I felt like were dressed realistically were Janice and Katie. And Uh I will say that Katie's, um, Katie's arc 
with her costumes was really good. The way that her clothing subtly changed throughout the story was really good. I will say I kind of wish Aaron had gotten a song. Like there were a lot of characters that got songs that didn't need them, Mm -hmm. but Aaron confused me and I would have liked to get to hear his thought process. Oh my God, imagine in that reprise of What's Wrong With Me. Imagine how great it would have been if instead of bringing on Regina's mom to sing like kind of alongside Gretchen, what if they had had it be Aaron Samuels? Because he's like, then like they would be having a duet, but it's not a love duet, but they're talking about the same person because they're both talking about Regina and the power that she has over both of them. And it would have made sense for both of those characters way more than it made sense for Regina's mom. Yeah, Aaron's character is confusing because in the first act, he seems kind of shallow because he, like, takes Regina back at the party, essentially, because she looks hot. Mm-hmm. But then in the second act, he's like, I researched Kenya so I could connect with Katie. Yeah. Which is just confusing. And I also don't understand why he gets back with Katie after everything that she's done. Because like, he was just a really, He was just a really weird and confusing character. Yeah, And I wish that if we were going to get extra insight into any character, it should have been him. To wrap everything up, um, when you're looking at all four of these musicals, Beetlejuice, Mean Girls, Heathers, Legally Blonde, of these four, which one would you say did the best job of taking the film genre and converting it to the musical theater genre. I think that Beetlejuice took the most risks when it comes to take to translating film effects onto the stage. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell because there are different elements that different ones. The, there are different elements that these different musicals did better or worse to varying degrees. Yeah. But if you had to pick one, you would maybe say Beetlejuice? If you're looking for something that is not an exact replica of the movie, I would say Beetlejuice. Okay, I think that's fair. Well, I appreciate you coming on and talking some shit with me, but also <laughs> I think I think we also did a, a good job of praising, uh, praising musicals as well. So thank you so I much. I try to give credit where credit is due, but if there is no credit due... <laughs> <laughs> then they won't be receiving any. <laughs> well, that's fair. Um, anything you want to say before we depart, Fifi? No. What about... I'm sorry, Lawrence O'Keefe, if I've offended you <laughs> And Nell Benjamin. Whoops, our bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for coming on. I hope you guys really enjoyed listening to us. And I personally love musicals. So even though this is a TV and film podcast, I think it's, I think it's nice to talk about them every once in a while. And I'll have to have you back on sometime. I like your insight. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I've been getting a lot of downloads lately, and I just couldn't thank you guys more. Everyone who's just stuck in uh, and stuck by me this past year or so while I've been figuring out how to do this. Uh, I feel like I've come a long way, and I still have a long way to go, and uh, I appreciate it. 
please do me a favor and follow this podcast on Instagram at Unwatchable with Chloe Rodriguez. You can go ahead and follow me on Instagram as well at Cuckoo for Cloclo Puffs. And uh, go ahead and leave a five star review and give us a give us an honest rating there. Uh, please be sure to listen for my episode next week. I will see you guys next time on Unwatchable. Bye. Bye. <laughs>